Verse 1, reading from the ESV. Bell bows down. Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. Those things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born from me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear. I will carry, and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal, and compare me that we may be alike? To those who lavish gold from the purse, and weigh out silver in the scales? Hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. They fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the beginning, the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, a man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you are far, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion, for Israel my glory. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground with a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind flour. Put off your veil. Strip off your robe. Uncover your legs. Pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the aged you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. You said, I shall be mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely and say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment in one day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am, and there is none besides me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you for which you will not be able to atone. 
and ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries, with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counsel. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this. No fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you have labored, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about, each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come now as your people. And Lord, there is much that occupies our hearts and our minds. Father, we would lift up our prayer to you this morning for those in our congregation who are in need of physical healing. Lord, we think of Deb Hagstrom. We think of Stephanie Nord-Hughes. And Father, we think of Carrie Reynolds, and we pray that you would show your power and your grace and your glory and your mercy to them. Lord, we thank you for the way in which uh, they have, in various degrees, been restored to health. And we pray uh, that you would continue to do so. Lord, uh, guide these few moments now that we have. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And the Father, uh, maybe even more importantly, May we be those who not only hear the word, but may we be those who do it as well. For we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Advent, at its heart, is a season of waiting. Now, I don't know about you, but that thought terrifies me. I don't really do waiting. Or at least, I don't do waiting very well. But waiting well is one of the defining characteristics of the people of God. You see, waiting well is a necessary application of the sovereignty of God that Andrew talked to us about last week. Our Father, the sovereign King, is working all things to his redemptive purposes. Some of that we've seen fully already in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But some of those purposes have yet to be seen. And so as God's people, as those who are called by the name of his son, we wait. Perhaps not very well, but we wait. Our text for this morning reminds us that our waiting is not a period of inactivity. Waiting does not mean doing nothing. It's not like going shopping with your wife or your significant other gentleman. No, as people created in God's image, even as we wait, we worship. Worship is hardwired into us. It's the reason we were created. We can't not worship. In our text for this morning, Judah faces exile in Babylon. 
And God is calling them to examine their worship. Worship rightly, and God himself is your foundation and your future. Choose poorly, however, and you chase you face an equally certain future, one of judgment. As we wait and as we worship, there is a truth at play. And that truth is our big idea for this morning. So if you turn to the second page of your bulletin, you'll see there an outline. At the top of the outline, you'll see the big idea. The big idea, Lord willing, in one sentence is what the sermon is about. And so our big idea for this morning is this. We become like whatever we worship. We become like whatever we worship. So there are three questions then that we want to ask this morning as we seek to discern exactly what it is that we worship. And do we actually understand what becoming what that thing looks like as the Bible spells it out? So first, we want to ask this question. What sort of God do you worship? What sort of God do you worship? Well, as we come to Isaiah chapter 46, we need to be reminded of kind of what's come before it. And so in Isaiah chapter 44 and in Isaiah chapter 45, as Andrew unpacked it for us last week, we saw that God has called for himself a particular servant named Cyrus. Cyrus is going to come from the east. And he's going to be the one who brings about God's judgment on the Babylonians. So you need to think of it in this way. God is going to use the Babylonians to judge Judah. And then once he's done that, he's going to use Cyrus and the Persians to bring judgment on the Babylonians. The takeaway from all of that is God is the one ultimately who is in control of all of this. He is sovereign. So there are then, in chapter 46, two commands that govern the entire chapter. It's the command to listen, and then the command to remember. In verse 3 and in verse 12, in chapter 46, we are called to listen. Verse 3, listen to me, O house of Jacob. And then again in verse 12, listen to me, O stubborn of heart. And sadly, those things are one and the same. For the house of Jacob is indeed stubborn of heart, and they are far from righteousness. The second command then comes in verse 8 and verse 9. Remember and remember. God's people are called to listen, and to remember. My oldest nephew, uh, when he was a boy, he's, he's now grown and married and graduated, and, uh, which doesn't seem possible because that would make me really old, and I'm still wrestling with that. Uh, but my oldest nephew uh, was a rather flamboyant child. He was a born performer, and so whenever we would be gathered together, uh, Teague would literally go in front of the fireplace, hold up his hands, and demand that we be silent. He was about to perform, and all the bodies needed to listen to what he was going to do. Well, as you might imagine, now that he's a grown man with a wife, uh, his loving aunts and uncles love to remind him or call him to remember just how precocious and what a complete and total pain he was when he was that age and calling on the rest of us to be quiet. Well, friends, in a loving way, 
the Lord is calling on his people to listen. And he also calls us then, having been compelled to listen, we are called to remember. Now, this text doesn't make a whole lot of sense apart from understanding how people in the ancient Near East viewed events in their world. As I said, what's going to happen is Babylon is going to defeat Judah. And then uh, the Persians, the Medes and the Persians, are in turn going to defeat Babylon. Now, what that meant in the ancient Near East was this. The God of the Babylonians was greater than the God of the Israelites. And then the God of the Medes and the Persians was greater than the God of the Babylonians. Well, the Lord knows this. And so when the Holy Spirit inspires Isaiah to write down 46 and 47, He plays on their understanding of how the world works. For when Cyrus comes from the east, Bel and Nebo are going to be powerless to stop him. He starts off by saying that Bel bows down and Nebo stoops. They themselves have to be carried on beasts and livestock. They are burdens that have to be borne by weary beasts. The punchline then for the Babylonians comes in the second half of verse 2. They cannot save, but are themselves taken into captivity. Now, Isaiah then does this really amazing thing. Isaiah takes those words, carry, bear, or born, and save, and turns them on their heads. Look at verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your youth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and to uh, gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, I will bear, I will carry, and will save. Do you see the contrast? Do you understand what Isaiah is trying to communicate? Listen, if you're trusting in an idol, you're trusting in a God that has to be carried, that cannot bear, and that cannot save. But if you're trusting in Yahweh, you have a God who can carry, who can carry you not only from the womb, but also when you have gray hairs. You have a God who will bear you up. And you have a God who is able to save. So let me ask you a question this morning. Can your God carry you? Can your God bear your burdens? Isaiah is oftentimes called uh, the fifth gospel, and with good reason. Uh, The gospel writers quote from Isaiah more than any other book, with the exception maybe of the Psalms. And I I read uh, again this week Jesus' words that come from Matthew chapter 11, and listen to what Jesus says about bearing and about carrying. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, can your God bear your burdens? Can your God save you? The great tragedy of the Babylonians is they find themselves at this point in their history in which they're going to desperately cry out to their gods only to discover that they're not real. They cannot carry them, for they themselves need to be carried. They cannot bear the burden of Babylon because they themselves are a burden that's going to be carried in the captivity, and they cannot save And the question for us this morning is, what sort of God do you worship? Can your God carry you? Can your God bear your burdens? Can your God save you? If he can't, may I lovingly suggest you need a new God. Secondly, what sort of foundation will you build upon? What sort of foundation will you build upon? Now, the word remember, as we've already seen, shows up twice, and it's the controlling idea of this passage. But in the Bible, remembering doesn't mean just stand there and have a sort of aha moment and then sort of, uh, and some of us, by the way, love this idea. I have this great thought, and I'm just going to sit here for a while and think about it because that kind of, that like that gets my juices flowing. But what the Bible intends when it calls us to remember is we remember in order to do something. And what he wants them to do as they remember is he says in verse 8, he wants them to remember and to stand firm. Remember and then stand firm. Well, if you're an athlete or if you've played any kind of sport or if you've been out and, and this season is now upon us, I'm afraid, When you go out to have to shovel your driveway, you know that your ability to stand firm is only as good as your footing or the ground that's underneath you. And the Lord is calling them to stand firm with the understanding that he himself is their foundation. He makes that very clear, doesn't he, in verse 9. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Friends, it's the sovereignty of God that serves as the foundation that gives God's people firm footing. We understand also it's not just God in his sovereignty, But it's God himself who is the foundation that he desires his people to build upon. Again, uh, listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. And listen to what he says to his people in Matthew chapter 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell. And the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell 
And the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. What is your foundation? What are those fundamental truths or truth through which you view not just your life, but how you make sense of the world that is around you? A couple of weeks ago, we saw that uh, there are several, or there are actually three aspects to being created in God's image, to being image bearers. We've already talked about one of them, namely that we are worshipers. We can't not worship. It's what it means to be created in God's image. But we are also interpreters. We're always looking at the world around us and trying to make sense of things that are going on. Good luck making sense of what's going on in the world in which we live over the past six months. But we still do it, don't we? We still try. We can't not try to interpret the world that is around us. Well, friends, Isaiah is reminding us that the foundation that we must build upon is a foundation of the world, is is a view of the world that is fundamentally God-centered. If we have a God-centered view of the world, then we have a firm foundation. If we are operating with the Lord Jesus Christ as the foundation of our lives, we can weather just about anything. But if we don't, we will find very quickly that the foundation will give and all that we held dear and all that we thought we were building will be ruined. What sort of foundation then are you building upon? Third and finally, we must ask the question, uh, what sort of future do you face? What sort of future do you face? Isaiah chapter 47 is almost as cheery and happy as Revelation chapter 18. It is, to be clear, a chapter filled with lament. It tells in heartbreaking detail of the destruction of Babylon. It calls her to sit in the dust, to lament, to know that they will no more be called tender and delicate. Indeed, the Bible calls her to take a position of not just lament, but also, and, and not even of humility, but to understand she will be humiliated. Look at verse 3. Your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Now, what's interesting is you would think then, uh, when faced with that kind of certain word from the Lord, it would change your attitude and it would tend to uh, maybe make you rethink some decisions in your life. But look at verse 8. Now, therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. In other words, he's saying to them, listen, uh, you who love pleasure, you who sit, you think securely and say, I am. In other words, you've made yourself God in your pursuit of pleasure. And in your pursuit of comfort and security, 
you are in essence making yourself your own God. You see, Babylon, like Judah before her, will now face God's judgment. God is the creator, and he will hold his creation accountable. Our New Testament reading for today drives that point home to us yet again. And we must remember that while Isaiah 47 speaks of Babylon as a particular uh, sort of a geopolitical reality in the ancient Near East, in the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 18, it's speaking of Babylon as a type. The Babylon represents all those who, like the Babylonians in chapter 8, or excuse me, in verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 47, say, I am. I'm God. I have no need of the God of the Bible. Who pursue pleasure and pursue their own comfort and security. To them, the Lord gives a very particular word of warning. And friends, when we read Revelation chapter 18 and when we read it alongside uh, Isaiah chapter 47, what we must walk away with is that the, the fact that the first judgment happened, the fact that what God said would happen to Babylon, in Isaiah chapter 47, and by the way, we read about what happened to Babylon in Daniel chapter 5. I've been amazed as we've gone through the servant songs how often the book of Daniel actually serves as a kind of commentary for what's going on in Revelation. And in Daniel chapter 5, we see in no uncertain terms the great downfall and destruction of Babylon. Well, the reality of the first points us to the certainty of the second. As Matt prayed for us, we understand that there is coming a day in which the Lord will bring his judgment. That he will do so through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we come to the table this morning, we must understand that while the table certainly speaks to us of the salvation that the Lord has brought to us through his son, Jesus. It also reminds us of God's judgment. Not the judgment that's going to befall uh, the world in general. We're not talking about Revelation 18 kind of judgment. No, instead, we're talking about the fact that God the Son poured out his judgment for our sin. Excuse me, that God the Father poured out his judgment for our sin on God the Son. And that through Jesus, bearing in his own body the punishment for our sin, our salvation was purchased. The table also reminds us that as God's people, we wait. We wait for the Lord Jesus to return. We wait knowing that as certainly as he came in the first advent, he will come again in the second advent. So friends, let me ask you again. What sort of God do you worship? What sort of foundation will you build upon? And what sort of future do you face? The table reminds us that through the finished and completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ, those are who are his people 
face a future that is sure and certain and beautiful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the means of grace that you give us. Uh, Lord, we, we know, we, we, we confess they're not particularly uh, flashy. Uh, they're not really marketable. And there's not a whole lot of buzz necessarily as we would think of it uh, in, in our particular day and time. Father, we can't, we can't really Instagram these things and create a following. But we bless you this morning that you have promised to use these things. And so, Father, we pray that as we have heard your word and as now you invite us to come to your table, that, Lord, you would indeed use them uh, to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we do become like that which we worship. And the table reminds us uh, that we worship the triune God because of the finished work of the second person in the Trinity. And so, Lord, our prayer this morning is that as we hear your word and as we come to your table and as we pray to you, that the end result would be that this week we would look more and more and more like the Lord Jesus. Father, as we've spoken of the certainty of judgment on those who do not know you, we would also dare pray that that reality would break our hearts, that it would cause us to want to make the name of Jesus known for those who have never heard him. Lord, we would pray as Bishop William Taylor prayed years ago. May my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.